What's going on guys? On this week's podcast, we have the continuation. Last week, you saw her on The Elite Agent. This week, she's on The Handsome Homebuyer Podcast. We have Pat Yavino, the legend, 30 plus years in the business, top producer, 30 plus years out of Keller Williams. Check it out. Yeah, kid. Welcome, welcome everybody back to another episode of The Handsome Homebuyer Podcast. My name is Charles, aka The Handsome Homebuyer, aka Captain Permit, AKA! AKA the fourth one, El Chulo de las Casas. Shout out to Catherine Trent for that. I'm gonna give her credit this time. After that, I'm gonna credit myself. We got a legend in the building. <laughs> but before we go there, Levy, do you know who has also become a legend in a year and a half? Yes, sir. Who? Kemper. Captain Permit, that's right. 516-513-8838. If you need plans, you need permits, you need anything real estate related, tip to tip, coast to coast, and by that, I mean Queens, not in Queens, but the Queens Long Island border, all the way out to Montauk. <laughs> Interior alterations, legalizations, new constructions. Listen, the towns are awful. Our guests today will attest to that. They're awful. Yes, they are. You didn't think they could get any worse? Oh wait, they're getting worse. Six months, four months, nine months, 11 months. New York as a, well actually the Northeast collectively now has the longest permit process in the country at 11.3 months. Do you That's insane. That? That's crazy. It's madness, but we're here to hold your hand and wipe every tear through that insane permit process, 516-513-883. And obviously, if you have a house that smells like cat pee, it's dated from the 1960s, six inches of mold <laughs> on the wall, human waste floating past the basement steps, land, commercial property, non-performing notes. You are guy. <laughs> I'm quick. I'm easy. Today's guest knows I'm a good time. I want to buy it. Five one six seven 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 sold. All right. <laughs> you're like, what did I get myself that was your into? Commercial, huh? I That's didn't. Cute. You're like, I didn't know when I met you seven years ago that you were going to be a maniac. Um, so today's guest literally is a legend in the space, right? Been in it for thirty plus years. We don't need to talk about exactly how long, but basically, and she'll explain that she started doing real estate when they delivered these, I don't even know what she's talking about, delivered these books with these perfs and you had to rip them out with the town and put them into a binder. <laughs> um, but she was the listing agent that essentially sold me my first fix and flip house, which started the trajectory of the madness that is my current life. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, she's been a top, top, top producer for decades and don't take that as a bad thing. I'm not. You look fantastic. Thank you. You have more energy than the average 19 year old and you're growing every day. She just started her new team, the Yavino team. Pat Yavino, Keller Williams. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> it's great to see you again. Yes, you too, It's great to see you. So you've seen it all, you've done it all. Pretty much. <laughs> I'm kind of curious to know like, and you've seen, so you started real estate before, I don't even think, like, you know, before computers were big. So you've seen it really evolve. You've also been through every kind of market that there is. Yes, I have. And it's you've amazing. lasted through that. I'm actually curious to know how you first started, how you first got into real estate. Wow, that's an interesting story. Okay, so I went to Nassau Community College and I wanted to be an art teacher, but they told me there was no opportunities left in that all the classes were filled by the time I got there. So I was like, well, what do I do? 
And they said, well, you could be, you know, a rocket scientist or you could be a gym teacher. Were they being serious? At Nassau Community. And or you could do fashion merchandising, which was similar to art. Okay. So I said, okay, that's the one. Because <laughs> that's how I am. So I said, I'll do that. <laughs> so I got an associate's degree in fashion merchandising. And at the last semester, you had to do a work study program in the city. Okay. They threw me into a crazy... Um, it, it's called a, a buying house in the city, okay. in the garment district. I hated every single person I dealt with. They were all liars and thieves. And I was just like, ah, I can't do this. this is I was so young and, you know, I wasn't jaded. And I was like, I, they say they're sending stuff, but they're not sending stuff. What do I do? And, you know, I just realized that the garment center wasn't for me. So um, I had been bartending the whole time. No to kidding. To earn a living. Yep. I've been bartending for a while. And one of my regulars in the bar that I worked in, in Levittown, was a local place called Brothers Pub. You may all remember it. And uh, he came in and he was a realtor and he worked at Dallow Realty around the corner. Okay. And he said, so what are you gonna do? And I said, I don't know. I hate what I went to school for. I can't do that job. It's just not for me. And he said, you're smart, go get your real estate license. I was like, what, it, what does that entail? Mm -hmm. And the rest is history. I got my license and that was back in 1979. And I was very young. <laughs> so um, you did just date yourself. You realize that, I right? Know. Okay. <laughs> I was very young. I really was. And then um, I did that for a few years. And then the interest rates got so high yeah. that contracts used to say that if the interest rate should exceed 16 or 16 and a half percent this contract is null and void so purchasers did not qualify anymore because it was very strict qualifications back then yeah. for getting a mortgage loan so just stop and stop right there for a second only because i want all the the younger generation who's listening to this to understand for a minute so you got into real estate and then as soon as you did this was we're well, talking it was, it was like 1983 1982, 83, when I got out because the rates had skyrocketed so high. I think it was around there. So people are complaining now when rates like come up above like 3%. Oh, crazy. What were the rates like at that time and what was going on? There was, uh, you could get a variable rate for 15, 16%, which was no guarantee. It wasn't locked in for the life of the loan. They had, you know, one or two points over that that it could go up to and or below. Um, and or you could lock into a fixed rate up to 17 and a half percent. And some people did, because if you had to buy a house, you were buying at 16, 17, 17 and a half percent was crazy. What did that crazy. do to the market due to values? Like what was like just the overall economy? Well, that was like the then? time of, um, you know, the Carter administration yeah. and inflation. So where you were paying it in the mortgage, you were also getting it on the CDs. So it was kind of a weird time because we had runaway inflation and the price of houses from the early 80s to the end, which was when the market crashed in 89, uh, they were skyrocketing at 20% a year. Prices were going up so fast that if you bought a house in 1980 or 81 mm -hmm. and you sold it in 88, okay. you tripled your money. That's how crazy it was back then. Kind of sounds a little bit like what's going on right now. Just saying. A little bit. but. Just I don't think it's it's gone up that much. I mean, it's gone up dramatically recently yeah. because of the pandemic, but 
it hasn't gone up like it did in the mid 80s. The yeah. mid 80s was nuts. And the interest rates eventually started to come down. Yeah. And so that boosted that again because now people felt like, oh my God, I could get, you know, 13%. So let me run out and buy a house. So it was interesting. It was interesting. It was a, it was a weird time. But I got out of real estate mm. for 10 years. Almost 10 years. I did not know that. Yes. I got out of real estate for almost 10 years. I did that for a short stint, but I was um, in need of money. And when the interest rates shot up that first time and mm. all those contracts died, I had 11 deals go down in one day. And I was like, well, I'm done with this business and off to the next thing. And I, I worked in the car business. I sold numerous different things over the years and um, you know how to make a living. So I got out. And then um, in 1992, mm -hmm. I was married, I had three children, and I needed to really get back into the workforce. Mm -hmm. And it really wasn't a lot of options for you know a mom of three small children, and I, and I was juggling taking care of them. So as much as I couldn't believe I was saying it, I thought, oh, maybe I'll get my real estate license back. I can't believe I'm going back to this business that stabbed me in the heart, you know. Let me let me ask you a question because you kind of went over it very nonchalantly, but there's like a, a pretty big message for that from in this is that you kind of have this this attitude, which is what has led you to be very successful is you just you just get stuff done. You're not. Yeah, just do it. You're me not emotionally like really heavily <laughs> impacted, like somebody in a situation where they had 11, the average person with 11 deals in contract who lost them all would sit in a corner and cry for months. But you're just like, all right, on to the next one. Like right. You have this drive that has essentially kept you <laughs> top of the game for 40 years. Not, where not that long. <laughs> well, okay, 30, 30 years, 30, 30 years since you since you returned. Where does that come from? Uh, need, need, you know, I didn't grow up with money. That's interesting. So uh, never really had extra cash in our family. We were, you know, making it. I had food, I had yeah. housing, but we never had money for anything. So I started working when I was 12. And uh, my dad had a little store in Jamaica and I sold sneakers and ice skates and fishing tackle and Lionel trains, HO trains. Paint by number. I mean, it was the crazy store. They had so much different basketballs, footballs. I mean, like it was a crazy store. Yeah. And uh, every Saturday, because we had blue laws then, you didn't work on Sunday. Every Saturday, every holiday, I worked in the store and I made like my little 10, 15, $20, whatever my father was able to give me that day. And I saved my money and would buy things. So mm. I learned to work to get what I wanted. It's so, so valuable though, right? There's, there's, no replacing that and you don't have money and you know what it is to make money and appreciate it you know everybody who gives their kids everything it's a wonderful thing but at the same time if they don't know what it's about they don't appreciate it so so like i i said to my parents maybe like three or four years ago and they kind of looked at me like i can't believe you just said that but um i worked very hard because i saw my dad my dad worked six seven days a week my entire life but I was also very fortunate and I grew up in South Wanto and I had I never, you know, had a need for something that I didn't. I went to summer camp. I played travel hockey, all this stuff. And I said to my parents one day, I'm like, I really wish you would have not given me so much. Like, I wish you would have made me struggle more. Why? To your exact point. But you but you are a hard worker 
and you do appreciate what you have and you strive for more. So so you were one of the few people lucky. that really was given everything, but still, you know, got to understand life and, you know, working hard brings you the riches you want for what you want. Yeah, so you do that. So, you know, you, you got that lesson because you, you watched your dad. Yeah. You know, I have to say I have three children, obviously adults now, and uh, they're all hard workers. Mm -hmm. And uh, I believe that they got the same message from me because they saw me have to take care of them and work hard and always be available and answer phones and yeah. emails and beepers and whatever it was over yeah. the years. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? And um, and then they learned that, you know, hard work is is the way to get ahead and to yeah. take care of yourself because the most important gift you can give your children is is love and independence. Without a doubt. And and, and that's it. That's and it. we collectively your kids and I like we we got lucky because we saw that because I'm sure we we had a lot of opportunity because my parents and you worked so hard because you didn't want us to go through what you went through growing up and Correct. what he went through growing up. Mm -hmm. But I see a lot of my contemporaries not the same. Right. Like they don't achieve a certain level of success because they don't have the drive. They don't have that fire because it wasn't instilled to them because they don't have the need and their parents are still paying like their cell phone bills oh. and they're 42 years old. God. So that's the thing. And that's why being a parent is very scary. I don't have kids yet. And that's one of those things where I'm like, it's it's hard. Are you you're doing a good job? And there's no manual for that. You committed to this business. I don't know if you're ready to commit to <laughs> the other the other aspect of life yet. So Yeah, I don't I mean, but you 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 did it all. I don't. I I have no idea how. Yeah, it couldn't uh, have been autopilot the whole way. I have no idea how. Just keep going. Never look back. Just keep going forward. So talk about your return to real estate. So you're out for 10 years, you come back in. What's yeah. the climate what's the climate like? Uh well, in 92, um the the market had turned. Obviously the 80s were over. In 89, yeah. you know, uh the market had dropped. So um prices had come down and you know, it was I would say it was a pretty even market. I, it wasn't it wasn't a seller's market anymore. It was more of turning towards a buyer's market. It was a buyer's market for a little while and but pretty even. And I got in and I just cared about making money because at that point in time I needed yeah. to make money. I, I needed the money. It wasn't because I went back to work with twins that were five and a baby that was three that I wanted to go back to work. I had to financially. So again, the need to pay the mortgage, to feed the kids, to get the sneakers, you know, whatever they needed. So um, I went back and I, I would, it was crazy. I would get two hours in the morning. I would run in, I try to get the overnight ups of buyers because in those days they were little pink pieces of paper that the notes would be on. The, the secretary would empty the voicemail. And so I would run in and because you were the first one there, you would get the ups. So I would be the first one there. Why do they call them the ups? Uh, we had an upboard. Okay. An upboard is, is just like names on a board that get rotated. So if you hit the bottom, you get the next phone call in. You know, things Got were it. different then. We didn't have computers. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have any of that. So if you wanted to talk to a realtor, you called the real estate agency and you got in touch with the realtor. So yeah. there was a rotating board of names that would slide in and out. And you would, if you got to the bottom, you got the next up, which was a client, a potential customer. And if you got the overnight ups, sometimes there were two or three. 
So you had to be the first one in and I would be there at nine o'clock and I would get as many as I could and I would start calling people. And the first year back, I sold 11 houses, made up for those 11 I lost. Nice. Yep. And, um, and it was, it was, you know, just the beginning. And then I started to, and then in 98, in 98, I was salesperson of the year for the first time. And, uh, and in 99, I couldn't earn any money. I, it, everything had changed. It kept changing. People were starting to not be loyal. The market was starting to become a seller's market again. So people weren't as loyal to their realtors again. Okay. And whereas I used to have great relationships and people would, you know, I would say, if you see anything on multiple listing, if you see anything in the newspaper, just call me, I'll tell you what it is and I'll handle it for you. Things were changing. And, uh, was that 90, because of the internet or? It was the, it was, well, it wasn't the internet yeah, as no. much yet. No, no, the internet wasn't a player yet, but, but things were changing. Just like the computers had come out actually in the, in the eighties, but mm -hmm. they were read only. They were, you know, like a yeah. printer. We didn't know what the hell that was. And by the late nineties, they were starting to have programs on a screen that you could look at, but not interactive. Yeah. It was, it was just information. This is so crazy. I know, <laughs> I know, oh, but you know, that's what it was in the late nineties. And then, and then it continued to evolve and evolve, but the clientele was very, um, desperate at that point. They were starting to get desperate for houses and the market was starting to rise again. Cause you know, you think the late nineties ended up in 2006 mm -hmm. with the banking crisis. So yeah. things were on the rise and, and people weren't that loyal. And I took off a few months because I was just burnt, burnt out. And, um, I decided during that time frame that I was going to list. I was done. Oh, you were working exclusively with I, buyers. I know I was okay. doing both. But I decided that if it's a hot market, let's concentrate on sellers because sellers, once you get that signature, you're almost guaranteed to make money. Yeah. And exactly. stop running around and making myself crazy and having people disappoint me. So I focused my business towards listings. Not that I didn't take buyers because you always have, you know, a balance. Yeah, of course. But if I was 65% buyers prior, prior to this yeah. epiphany, then I switched it and it became like 70% sellers and 30% buyers. Oh, that makes sense. Because I, I knew that that was the future. And I went out, I knocked on doors. I, we, we used to, I worked in another company. We used to drop off little gifts like plants and promotional things on their front doorstep. I yeah. did all of that legwork and I just focused, focused, focused on um, sellers because so that was guaranteed money. I have uh, I have two questions. First of all, I don't think the general public realizes how hard it is to be a realtor and how you're mm. essentially like on your own island running your own business. You have That's a broker, true. but like for all intents and purposes, like you're on your own. Yeah, it's 1099. No, it's straight commission. No, no salaries. No, no gas money. No, no yeah. health insurance. Nothing. It's straight commission. And so you don't you don't make a sale. You don't earn anything. I feel like today, like a really frustrating thing for agents, and I would be frustrated if I was an agent is you have a, you ha agents who will have a listing will get a call from a buyer and they'll show the house and all this stuff. And then after that, they'd be like, oh yeah, my agent is going to put the offer in. And he'd be like, where's your agent been? Like, you didn't tell me you had an agent the whole nine. I, I'm curious to know how the service aspect of the business has changed from when you started to now. Because I had heard stories like the agent used to pick people up 
actually bring them around in the car the whole night. Like it was a very, very different Totally animal. different, totally different. You know, just to avoid things like that, I, I always ask the question, are you working with an agent? Mm. Because I have been- That would drive me nuts. Yeah, I have been in that situation more than once. Yeah. And it is so frustrating. You know, I, I the first time it happened, I did an open house. I had a couple come. They looked at the house for an hour. They were at my open house for an hour, asked a thousand questions. I answered all their questions. He called me an hour after I closed up and said, can I bring my uncle back? Now it's like 4.30 on a Sunday. It's the winter. It's freezing cold out. I said, when? He said, um, you know, like 5, 5.30. I said, sure, no problem. You know, life of a realtor, drop everything, yeah. go. Yeah. So I went, I showed it to the uncle. I, I went back home. It was a Sunday, football was on. I remember I was watching football and the phone rings and it's this guy's agent. And he says, uh, I'm gonna make an offer for, you know, Joe and Sally Smith. And I was like, excuse me? I would lose my mind. I did. I lost my mind. There was a little <laughs> yelling going on. It didn't matter. I've they never... were loyal to him. Yeah. They hadn't signed anything with me, so they were loyal to him. So he ended up selling the house and I did all the legwork to ha get them to that point. This is like a common agent problem. How do you, outside of that, because how do you, how can you prepare for this? Are there like disclosures and things? I, I There I are don't disclosures. Know. Yeah. There are disclosures. Um, that you can have them sign and you're supposed to have them sign it it was a it was a long time ago it was um it was a lot loose more loosey-goosey now everything is very strict yeah so you need to have fair housing you need to have department of state which talks about agency and if i had been uh probably more diligent with that because you have to look at yourself and say what did i do wrong because obviously i did um i didn't ask them if they had an agent back then it was a long time ago and um, and I didn't have them sign that you know paperwork that they should have signed when they walked into the open house and started discussing the house with me. And um, if I had, I would have known. Yeah. And then I wouldn't have wasted my time. So it was my fault in the end, which is you know why I put the deal together because I work for the seller, not for myself. And I learned though, I never did that again. You, you know, you just you have people sometimes that are dishonest yeah. and don't say that they have an agent when you say, do you have an agent? Are yeah. you working with someone? And they say no, and then their cousin calls me. You know, well, that's different. That was my fault the first time, but now I, I tell my girls and, and my team, always ask, do they have an agent? Yeah. Always, and then if you're showing houses, you should have your Department of State disclosure form filled out, you know, with, with the fact that you are working for the seller. So I think something important to also talk about and other successful people that I know or that have been in the podcast do the same thing, which is you you have ultimate accountability, which is rare for people. So you're like, everything's my fault, which is a big deal. Like if something goes bad, it's ultimately my fault. Like if anything goes bad in my business, it is 100% my fault. Right. And then you're constantly like assessing your business, the market, and how you can get better and change. Correct. So what's the question? No, I'm just I'm I'm putting that out there to people that are listening because a lot of people, you know, hit me up and DM me and call me and like, you know, how do you do this? How do you do that? Like, why are these people successful? Why are you successful? And these are really the traits, They're like these universal traits for people who are successful in what they have. And you're like, you're demonstrating a lot of them. So I just kind of want to point them out as we as we go through okay. this. That was uh, <laughs> that was my point. So um, what was it like going through 2008 to 2012? 
Was that the craziest? Because I mean, you went through high inflation, you went through the savings and loan crisis, and now you went through, you've went through COVID, and then before that, you went through the craziest Which was like a recession, recession yeah. of all time. I don't think that was, I, I know this is gonna sound crazy, <laughs> but I had built up my business successfully, and even though my income may have adjusted in 2007, eight, nine, mm -hmm. it was never bad. I never couldn't make my bills. I never got foreclosure notices again because that's how I got back into real estate. But uh, no, I had built it and, and I worked it. And I, you know, my reputation is everything. So I try to give everybody honest information, service. So even though people were struggling and dropping out of this business, I was still working because even though things were not good, houses were still selling. Yeah. Not as many houses, lots of short sales. That was a, that was a whole nightmare, but it, it, you loved it, right? You got in with the, with the situations, I, right? You just I wasn't in at to, that time. Like, you didn't I, get in at, at the point where things were really kind of low. No, like I met you what literally was at like the start of my career, which 2013, was like, 14. Yeah, it was like seven oh, years so ago. So it was already, yeah. So I, I missed that. It was already that. on the rebound. Yeah, yeah, it was already starting to. Um, but there was still short sales and foreclosures. and. Oh, yeah, and, there still are today. Yeah. Without a doubt. It's as a just not as many. There was a lot of people upside down, and it was sad. Yeah, that was a different It was sad ball. dealing with those people. I felt bad for them. The crazy part of it is, and I, I did it, I kind of tested a few markets. This is about 60% of the houses that were underwater that were originated during that 05, 08 period that are still underwater that still haven't been flushed out, believe it or not. Yeah, I don't really understand, but I know that the banks are holding on to a lot of inventory and I don't I really understand the the backstory on that, why they're still holding it, because they have, you know, taxes mm -hmm. that have to be paid, because taxes all tax liens come before all other liens. So the taxes are being paid on yeah. a lot of properties by these banks. And I I'm not really sure what's going on, but I don't I feel like they've released every house and there's plenty of them out there that yeah i have the answer what is it they uh, they don't own the houses but new york state law is so insane that i mean it takes on average seven to ten years for a house to move through the system right throw COVID in there throw everything else then you also have like there are attorneys i went on the podcast not that long ago i mean he's a, he's a brilliant man but you know, if you go to an attorney, you have the ability to lock these things up for even longer. Like I've short sale the house. I've I've purchased a house through a short sale, but the person hadn't paid in eighteen years. Oh my goodness! If you go to like Alabama or Texas or any of these other states, oh yeah, that stuff doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Thirty days, like sixty days, you're out. So it's basically it's the New York court system. It's that's crazy. That's what it is. And a lot of lenders have shied away from lending in New York for that reason. They just don't want to do deals there. Interesting. Yeah. It's just, um, it's very tough and, and that's why. I mean, you have, in that period of time, you had a, a big spike of default, but you always have constant default. I mean, New York is a very expensive place to live. I think people uh, over leverage. Yeah. And usually when they're buying a house, it's when they're doing their best and then something happens and they're overextended. Yeah, that's true. So it never, it never goes away. It really didn't make sense a lot of what went on even during that time frame because in 2008 was the Obama tax credit Okay. And I had a property that went to contract as a short sale and, and it was one man who owned it. He was not married. He had no children. And um, it went to contract. Bank of America was the 
main loan, you know, there were two loans. He was, they were the uh, larger mortgage. So they were the, the first mortgagee. And um, I think I, I sold it, I think for 390, mm -hmm. going back a ways, it was 390. And after seven months, they came back and said, we'll take 400, it was seven or eight months. And the buyer had lost out on getting that $8,000 because it had expired. And he told them to take a walk yeah. for $10,000. And at that time, the taxes were 15,000 on this particular house. That's crazy. And the man died in the midst of this. He just had a heart attack and died. So it was in contract at 390. I think it was like eight months later. I think it was. I, I, it's hard to remember now. But it was a long time ago. And the man died. So he wasn't paying it. He had no heirs to pay it. Yeah. And for $10,000, they told this veteran, he was a veteran and he was, and he knew it was a VA loan. And they said, no, we want 400. This is the bank you're talking about now, right? Yeah, Bank of America. Yeah. And, yeah. and they told him no for $10,000. Cause he said, I'm not paying that. You made me wait all this time. I just lost $8,000, yeah. which I could have used. And then, you know, if you came back with a quick answer, but they didn't. And that house sat there for 10 years, deteriorating, yeah. deteriorating, 10 yeah. years vacant. Because the people that manage these that made no sense. <laughs> the people that manage these portfolios, it's not their money, and it's not like you and I having a conversation to work out a deal that makes sense. Yeah, they look on it at, at a at a giant portfolio scale, and again, it's not their money. It's like a pension fund money or whatever this it is. This is one house. How many houses did Bank of America have like that? You Tens know what I'm of saying? hundreds of thousands, across. and not just them. All of the big lenders, all it's of crazy. the big lenders. I'm not you know pointing a finger at them. Yeah. It, this went on in yeah. multiple homes. It's just an example. Still does, and I don't get it. It still so. does. A lot of that doesn't make sense. But I mean, all that is for me, like I love seeing stuff like that, like with my new endeavor to take over the MLS, because when when you <laughs> see when you see deficiencies in a market or a business where somebody ultimately gets comfortable and they're like, yeah. we've been doing this forever. Somebody who's younger and hungrier and has a better mousetrap can take can take over and, and make money. Look at Bezos, um, who thought that we would buy everything on the Internet. Everything. You know, it's like it's so crazy. Everything, you know, find a need and fill it or create one. Exactly. I. Um, I want to talk about the brand, right? So like branding, Pat Yavino is a brand. You know that, right? Apparently. You're, you're a brand. <laughs> so um, apparently you are now there's a lot of talk about on social media about brand building and social media and all that stuff. But like you built a brand before like building a brand was a thing. Right. And you did it without technology. Right. Can you talk about that a little bit about how you went about because you have you also like I've, I've seen you operate like I've seen you talk to sellers. It's like a symphony, right? It's just you kind of dance through it and, and just charm them, win them over. And then, you know, you get the listing. Um, you know, what was it like? What are the attributes? How did you market in a world pre social media? Advertising, a lot of advertising, okay. a lot of door to door, a lot of um, like door knocking, door to door, door knocking. No yep. kidding. Yep. If I had a spare hour and the sun was out, didn't matter how many deals I had in contract, I would go out and knock on doors and speak to people and just introduce myself, you yeah. know? And, and you know, now you see a lot of no solicitor signs and sometimes I'll go out with one of the people on my team and they'll be like, it says no soliciting. I'm like, I'm not soliciting. <laughs> Hi, just introducing myself, you know? So it, it's not solicitation because I'm not asking them to buy or sell anything. Yeah. I'm just introducing myself and sometimes yeah. You know, that is the best way to connect with people is face to face. 
But I will tell you that it did a lot of advertising in local newspapers. Yeah. Um, you know, I I would say, like you say, like from the Queens border. Yeah. All the way out to Montauk. You know, I traverse the island now, whereas yeah. back when I was trying to start, you know, more uh, localized advertising just to build a brand, it was definitely more near the office and yeah. and the surrounding area. So I did a lot of local paper advertising. So yeah. people would see my face and my name constantly. I advertised in gyms, two different gyms. They would have the banners yeah. going by. I would do that. Um, I did. Right now, I'm on the golf course at Peninsula. I'm on their golf cards. I'm on a bench there. And then I am in the supermarket down on Sunrise Highway. Yeah. Uh, I still do a weekly ad in the South Bay, the local paper. Uh, where else am I? Oh, I'm in the CVS. I'm in the CVS uh, locally. So that was where I built the brand. Yeah. But because I built a business and people got to know me, they refer me. Yeah. And you always have to be in a nice way asking for referrals and yeah. let them know. Say, you know, this is if you were happy with the service I provided, if you know anybody who needs to buy or sell a home, please let me know because I will provide the same service to them. And it's just word of mouth and your reputation. So you don't step on toes, you don't burn bridges, and you try to make everybody walk away from every single transaction happy, happy. Buyer, seller, seller, buyer, doesn't matter, happy. Talk to me about the next iteration, which is the team. And wait, did the team come out of COVID or was it before that? No, right. it was before. It was before COVID. As okay. soon as I went to Keller Williams, okay, it was one of the it was one of the reasons that I went there. My old company yeah. was not up to date with things like that. And Keller, you know, promotes teams and yeah. working together as a group because it really is a wonderful way to grow your business, manage your business, and have a business within the business. As you yeah. said earlier, I'm on my own. Yeah. So Keller's whole, you know, concept is the realtors building a business under the Keller name, which is a business. So yeah. business inside a business. So I wanted to start a team. That was one of the reasons I went there. And I got very fortunate because I got some awesome people working with me that are, you know, smart, driven, customer service skills, you know, good hearted. It's just to find the right people to fit into your niche and mm -hmm. what you're looking for. I didn't want, you know, anybody who's um, disreputable in any way because yeah. I don't want them to tarnish the reputation that I built. So, uh, but I got great people and we work together very cohesively. We, we, um, we enjoy hanging out together and they're all different ages. And yeah. it's great because it's not like we even feel that nobody feels that you know, that that were of different generations. Mm -hmm. When we talk about work, it's really just a very cohesive group and it's wonderful. And I love it. I love it. And I'm teaching them yeah. because let's face it. I mean, I've taught a lot of people in this business over the years and it was not to my benefit. It was just to help them. Yeah. So now it's actually helping them and benefiting yeah. me because now I have other people that I can uh, you know, delegate to share my my leads with yeah. and we can all grow together. Of course, you know, but with that comes like a new set of challenges. Like it's very different to be Pat Yavino operating as a one woman show than it is to now, you know, be delegating. Share. And, yeah, and, to share. and training. Yep. And it's just it's a very different skill set. I'm curious to know what what's been the biggest challenge with you building the team so far? I just want to give them all enough business so that they can yeah. be successful. So the pressure is on me 
to expand my lead generation because okay. that that is the most important thing that I have enough business to keep them all busy. You know, I certainly have enough business to keep me busy, yeah. but I want to make sure that they're all successful. I don't want, I'm not greedy about it. I feel like if they're successful, I'll be more successful. I will have more time to myself if I can share people with them and, you know, they're helping. And I have to tell you, I get the most wonderful responses about my agents. I, I, I cannot say enough nice things about them from the people that contact me that want me, they get me, but they also get, let's say one or two of my other agents working with them and hands down, they also so professional, so, so pleasant to deal with, you know, great person, this one, that one, it doesn't matter. They all get wonderful reviews from the people that are, that are in my sphere of influence, as we call it, you yeah. know, like people that I've done business mm -hmm. with, people that are reaching out to me because of my reputation, whatever the case might be, so. Yeah, and I- um, It's interesting, it's interesting. I love having the group, it's great, it's great. I think it's notable also to mention that like, you you love what you do, you love real I estate. I do. You do, yeah, you like real estate, you like a challenge, you like the action, you're I literally do. getting up every day and doing what you wanna do. Yep. <laughs> because as we, um, the Elite Agent drops today, right? And you're in that episode, and as we talked about a little bit there, um, I'm 41 years old, and most of my contemporaries in the 35 to 45 range are saying like, you know, I wanna coast, like, They've worked hard for 10 years and they kind of want to like, they're happy with the level of business that they're doing. Whereas Hopefully you, they're really successful. <laughs> so, some of them are, some of them are not so gonna much. Because they're going to have a rude awakening in five or 10 years. You know, they're going to be like, whoa, we're out of money. What do we do now? Uh, yeah, especially like, I mean, you've seen the market just basically disappear. Like you've lived through that a number of times already. Mm -hmm. So you don't know, like it's good until it's not. Right. Um, that's actually another point, like from, from a business aspect, I think a lot of real estate agents or even small business people, like they're operating a business, but they're not really operating a business. Like they're no, not- No, they're just working. They're just working. And the money comes in and it goes out. Right. But like, they're not, the, what advice would you give agents in regards to like any type of like financial planning or structuring more like a business versus just, oh, it's coming in one day, it's going out the next, because you don't know when your next deal is gonna be. I mean, you have a constant flow, but for, uh, for a lot of agents, they don't. Right. I would say uh, call me <laughs> and I'd be happy to discuss it with you because there are a lot of things that you can do to help yourself have yeah. a steady flow. Yeah. You know, I was talking about knocking on doors before. That was something that I always implemented. Now, I'm not knocking on doors alone, so things are a little crazier out there now than when I used to do it a yeah. lot. Yeah. Uh, I would recommend taking a buddy. Don't knock on doors alone. Uh, but there are certain worth work ethics that you can implement. It didn't matter how many deals I had yeah. in the file. Didn't matter how many I had put in contract. Obviously there's follow up and, and you have to work all of that, but I never cared about that. I still said, well, I've got a couple hours. Let me go knock on a couple of blocks. Let me go knock on doors. Let me go talk to people. Always be prospecting. This way you have that constant flow. Yeah. But when it comes to the financial side of it, there are definitely things that you should be doing to m manage the money you get. Yeah. So if you really want to know how to do that, you can call me. 516-647-3569. You're not the only one who can say phone numbers. There you go. Do it. <laughs> do it. I was going to make you do it at the end if you didn't do it, but you beat me to it. Um, I mean, last question. Actually, my last two questions are, you've been doing this for some time, but you got a, a, a lot left to go. What is the What does the next 10 years look like? 
And then what is for a new agent, somebody coming in who hasn't done this before and is coming into a very hot market like this, what advice would you give them? It's a great time to get into real estate. Well, then anytime it's really a great time to get into real estate, but you better be ready. You better, <laughs> you better be ready. You better be ready to work hard. You better be ready to take a punch and you better be ready to let it go because this business can beat you up if you let it. You need to make sure that you are not allowing disappointment to derail your goal of being successful. That Le is it. Let me make sure we do a time check on that because that's going to be a nugget that's coming out. Good. Um, and what does the next 10 years look like for the Uvino brand? Go, go, go. Go, 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 go. <laughs> go, go, go. <laughs> Just build the team, build up my agents, help them to become independent realtors, uh, you know, to the point where they can they can do anything. They can do anything as well as I can and, and help them and to expand on my social media because that's something that's not from my, you know, generation. I didn't grow up with it. I have to keep adjusting and improving. So social media is definitely my goal to, to uh, conquer because at this point you need to have that. You need to be tech savvy in every yes. regard. Otherwise forget it. You're gonna be left in the dust like an old dinosaur. So. And it's, and it's, and it's right there now like it's right it's, now it's been it's been coming but like it's the tipping point of if you're not heavily putting out content at scale your business will disappear in the next five, five years absolutely i agree and that is something that i would love to help you with if you need <laughs> my advice or want my advice you have my phone number already yes, i do so i would love to uh to help and, you if you and i appreciate this. this podcast interview because this will help me get myself in that direction Thank you, Charles. You, uh, you are a legend. You are the queen. I thank you for everything. You're welcome. Again, one more time, if anybody, if there, if you're an agent who's interested in working on a team or if you're a buyer or a seller interested in working with you and the team, how do they get in touch with you? 516-647-3569. Call, text, no problem. Always Obvi available. <laughs> Obviously, you know, I'm the handsome home buyer. You have anything, cat pee smelling houses, mold filled houses, houses that are falling down, <laughs> Whatever it is, <laughs> you know I want to buy it. Five one six seven 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 sold. The uglier the better. Yes, the but I'm not. I'm not picky. Um, and obviously, if you have any permit issues, the captain's always got you. Five one six five one three eight eight three eight. That's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>